This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your life and with your community. Welcome to Query. Queros, Cameron, recording from my hotel room in beautiful Boston, where I just had a great show last night. Thank you, all of you who came out. Oh my God, that was one of my favorite shows of the tour. Also, just as, an, as a heads up and reminder, I will be in Denver from November 16th to 18th, and then that that's my last tour date for 2017. So come out and see me in Denver. Oof, I love that city too. Today on the show, Andrew Gerza. Andrew is a disability rights act- activist. I had an amazing conversation with this person. We just like really clicked and got along, which is awesome because we were not face to face. This was recorded over the phone. And I'm just really interested in what Andrew's up to. He's got a podcast called Disability After Dark. But in the meantime, please enjoy this episode of the show. It's a good one. Queeros, it is your pal Cameron Esposito, and what has been so exciting about recently on the podcast, what I've been trying to do is, you know, expand beyond Los Angeles. As I was working on the first couple of episodes, I wanted to make sure I could see the person face to face, and you know, be in this like be sharing the same oxygen. Um, hang on, well, it's okay. You can heal. Just there's a small dog yelling in the background. Uh, so we are at my home, is the is the long way of saying that. We are recording from my home, and we are also recording, uh, oh my God, all the way to literally Canada. What? Yay. Yay, what? Canada. How can phones travel that far? I mean, that is just <laughs> so physically far away. <laughs> um, so I have a great guest on the show. Um, will you please introduce yourself? Sure thing. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am a disability awareness consultant and crippled content creator. Hello. Wow, that is really nicely alliterative. There's <laughs> right? like a, a lot. Yeah. yeah, good job on figuring out your job title because I feel like you did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. I made it up myself, so I'm very, I'm pretty <laughs> proud of it. So, can you tell folks that are listening maybe a little bit more about what that means? Yeah, um, I I am a self-employed freelance kind of hustling disability awareness consultant and critical content creator, which means that I talk and I write and I blog and I podcast specifically about being queer and disabled. Um, in the queer community because we don't have a lot of representation in our community. We don't, people with disabilities and and the disabled community doesn't really get represented in queer spaces. And I was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to do it myself. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna carve out a name for myself because I'm tired of not seeing myself. I mean, I hear that. I hear that. Um, I have felt the same way. I mean, I also think, obviously, there are um, now a lot more queer characters on television. Whether or not those folks have, like, are fully able-bodied, I mean, are are there characters that, like, in t- TV or film, I can't even think of any characters that are queer folks with disabilities. I'm trying to, there, there have been one or two films, one or two shows that have sort of tried that. I can't, I honestly can't think of them off the top of my head right now either. Ooh, but that's not true. Margarita with a straw. I nailed it. That, that's right. There you go. But that but being said, that, that is a depiction that is not by somebody within the community. That's not actually somebody yeah. who has CP. Yeah. That movie, I have seen that movie and, and been asked to speak on that movie three or four times now for the work I do. And the first time I watched it, I loved it because I was like, wow, representation, period. That's great. The second time I was like, okay, wait a minute. Here's like five problems with it. By time number four, I was like, no, no, <laughs> no, let's start again. They could have done it this way. They should have consulted this way. Like they should have had a disabled actor. I So I think the representation of having a queer character was important in that movie. And I think it, it pushed the conversation a little bit further, but it still wasn't good enough because there are disabled actors out there who are queer waiting for work being like, Hey, I, I could have done this here. I was, <laughs> why didn't you hire me? <laughs> I, I, I mean, number one, absolutely. You, you are beautiful and can play any characters that you want. Um, but I totally, you know, it is, that's such an interesting point because, you know, as we're fighting for better representation for our, our whole community, um, it is a gradual process, right? And yeah. you would wish that it would be from zero to 60. Um, but of course, like, that's not really how anything goes. I mean, I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was a pretty, I thought it was a beautiful film. And actually, I didn't know that actor. So watching it the first time, I... I thought that was actually somebody with cerebral palsy. Um, yeah, me neither. I thought I actually thought it was somebody who had CP, and then I found out that she didn't, and I was like, "Oh, well, that's I don't know how I feel about that." Yeah, it's. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly uh, complicated, and you know, alters the way that you would watch that I that anyone you know should or could watch the film but um well because it it suggests to the audience too like the audience reaction from that movie is you're supposed to feel for the character and if you're able-bodied and you're you don't understand you haven't learned enough about disability politics which so many people haven't learned about yet um you watch that movie with a very different lens but if you're watching it like somebody who is disabled and who lives the disabled experience you watch it with a really with a much more critical eye. And that's what I was, that's what I do when I watch films now with disability. I'm like, well, what about this? What about, why wasn't this done? And you start nitpicking because you you live the experience. I live it every day. I'm a wheelchair user. I'm in a, a big electric chair. That's my day to day. So I look at all this stuff and I go, well, it should have been done like this. Why didn't they consult with a real disabled person? Even if they were going to use a non-disabled actor, which I don't think they should, but if they had, if they had like, with the Jake Gyllenhaal thing right now in Stronger, that's, I mean, the movie looks okay, but did they, you know, how, did they do a lot of research around disability? I'm not sure. No one's sure. They could also have worked with a disabled actor. So there's a lot of 
issues around representation um, just generally with disability in Hollywood, but especially in the queer community, there's really nothing out there right now, which is why I was like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and make a name for myself because I'm tired of not seeing myself and I want to, I'm a bit of a fame whore and I want to, I wanted a little bit of <laughs> representation. Well, yeah. And actually let's, this is a great moment to sort of tr- transition the conversation because right. I mean, the entertainment industry isn't everything uh, that matters, but of course, you know, when we see ourselves, we can have a greater sense of community in the world and um, feel validated. I mean, there's no arguing that. And so steering that like away from maybe depictions and, and actually towards your life, because I'm I'm struck by what you said, which is that, and I actually think there were disabled folks who consulted on that film and we don't have to, like, I don't want to go through and kind of put one any one particular film through the ringer, but looking like at a, in a larger way at sort of everything that you've seen, what are folks getting? I kind of want to hear what folks are getting right and what folks are getting wrong. Like I'm an able-bodied person. When I imagine your life, you know, can you tell me? Like some. I'm some curious stuff. actually to hear how you imagine my life. That's. Oh yeah. I'd like to yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so like, I love that. Thank you for putting it back on me because you're totally right. Well, I used to work in special ed and um by which I mean like folks with specifically with mobility issues. So right. it was they were teens. So that's a little different. I don't how old are you? I'm 33. Yeah, so like these were folks who I think were still figuring out what what their lives would look like in terms of whether they'd have um, an aid or whether they'd like live in a independently. Yeah. Yeah. Live independently or, or like live with their family or live in community and like in a, like a, a group setting. Um, And so all of that was being worked out. So my, my biggest experience with folks with CP is really people that are a lot younger than you. So like, I guess, and I mean, that's like, that's not like reading things. That's like personally knowing folks. So when I imagine that there was still a lot of like parental involvement because these are, you know, people who aren't 21 yet. And so there was a lot of still living at home and a lot of, um, you know, like parents helping to get you up in the morning and get you in your chair and then aides in the classroom helping to, um, like for folks to eat that had a, uh, mobility issues around putting food in their own mouths. So right. like, that's how I, mean, I know it in that context, but I don't know it I mean, when that's, you're 32. That's, that's, that's basically, I mean, I'm, I'm 33 now. That's, that's basically, that's still my life. I need help to, to, to get up, to, to uh, get dressed, to shower, to do it, to use the toilet, all those things. That's, that's, I need somebody there. The difference is, is that now I have the agency to, work with another adult who's going to do that for me. But if I, that, that, that is my day today. Um, and, but I mean, other than that, I am completely independent. I run my own little insular, like self-contained company of work that I do with my podcast and my work, um, and my speaking and talking and stuff. And I, I, you know, engage in the normal everyday things that people do, but I do it from a, from a, what I would say a crippled lens in that, like, I, my disability is 1000% a part of who I am. People often say to me, oh no, I don't see your disability. And I'm always like, well, really? Because 
I do. Like, how is it not a part of who I am? So I really have striven to make uh, to make disability a part of my a full nuanced part of my experience and to talk about it from from a queer lens as well is really really important to me but yeah so the right whole, now the- as at, at the age that you are because you, you were talking a little bit about like the just getting up and like kind of ramping into your day and those so do you have an aid that you work with i have several aids actually so i have i have people that come in uh, five or six times a day to help me with specific things, but I all know them and they work within the building where I live. So it's not a group home. I want to make that clear. It's not like, it's not like somebody's monitoring my day. They're simply there if I need them, and they would help me with getting up, having a shower, getting breakfast, or getting dressed. All the things that I require, someone is there for. And if, like, right now, for instance, if I needed somebody, I would call them and say, "Hey, could you just come up to my apartment?" And I here I am. I need you for this. And somebody would be there. So transitioning from, and and actually, well, let's talk a little bit about like when you were a younger person, like school age. Um, Did you live with, at what time did you stop living with, with parents or family? What age were you when you like started living? I was, I was 19. So I moved away to college. I went away to uh, a college about six hours east of where I grew up. Um, and I and it was one of the colleges in Ontario, Canada, the only one in Canada, actually, that had attendant care. So the kind of care that I needed attached to the residency. So as long as I lived in residence, I would have somebody available to me when I needed them to help me with the bathroom and all my regular day-to-day things. So I that was my plan from the time I was about 16 on to move there to have my independence and my family, my, my parents were very much like, nope, you're going because you have to figure this out for yourself and we're not going to, my, my family never has never coddled me, never made it, never like said, okay, we're going to do all this for you and it'll be fine. They said, no, no, you have to try and fall on your face and things are going to be shitty sometimes and go do it. So that's kind of the mentality that I've always had. And so I went away to college at 19 and I did a BA and a master's in law and legal studies studying the law and disability and then nine and a half years later when i realized the job market wasn't gonna do wasn't gonna provide for me because jobs when you're disabled are like do you want to flip burgers or do you want to like pull tickets to the movie theater that's pretty much where my options i was like no i don't want to do that i want to i want to i want to talk about disability and all that kind of stuff what like can can i become a consultant like what do I do and nobody was guiding me professionally so I just decided to kind of strike out on my own but I've, I mean I've been living to answer your initial question I've been living on my own since I was 19 which is like essentially the same age that I was I mean I think I was actually yeah. 17 because I'm just like a little old for my um year my grade or whatever I um <laughs> oh no yeah I don't know anyway yes same age same age-ish um, and I think about like, okay, so this, the college that you went to, which provided, you know, the type of care and assistance that you needed, are you right. setting your own schedule at that point? I mean, cause now, like you said, you're reaching out and, you know, you know, the folks that are providing care for you and, and when you're, when you were first leaving your house, 
was that something that you had to figure out on your own or was that something that like the school was helping you to structure? Yeah, the school was helping me structure a little bit and like I was learning how to do all that and it was it was learning how to work with people who you don't know and but luckily for me at the time this college was had attendant care workers who were my age. So everybody that took care of me was also a student. They weren't like nurses, they weren't super older than me. They were literally my age. So it was like your friend was helping you do a thing you needed to do and everything was okay. It wasn't weird. It wasn't uncomfortable because they were literally the same age as you going through all the same stuff as you were at the same, like all the same college stuff, like drunken college nights. We were all doing it together. And so, but if you needed something, somebody was there for you. Wow. That is awesome. I, I just, I yeah. don't know why I've never heard of, because I think of it as like a job title, you know, being an aide. Um, yeah. So well, I, because in, in, in everywhere else, like in, in, especially in America, the idea of an aide is completely, not completely different, but like this kind of, this kind of, Hey, let's have, let's have personal care attendance as part of like the college experience is very rare. Even in Canada, there's only one or two schools that offer that. So it's, it's extremely, extremely rare. That's really, I, I love that model though. I think also, I mean, obviously you're saying you do too, but you know, the, another thing that's like striking me about that is, is also that it doesn't put you, uh, it doesn't create a separation between you and students who aren't working with an aide, you know, like it's not, you're not working with somebody who's 30 and then everybody else is hanging out with 19 year olds. It just like, yeah. puts everybody on a pretty equal ground, which is also super interesting. Cause most, like most people, when you go to college, I mean, you have professors and stuff, but, but part of the college experience that's so unusual is that it's like one of the only times in your life you're going to spend most of your time with a cohort who's all the same age as you, you know, like we don't, yeah. when you're in high school, you go home or you, you know, like you don't live there a lot of times. And so, especially for colleges where you live away, it's like such an unusual experience to just spend time with people that are, you know, also entering their adulthood. And that seems yeah. like a really ideal situation for you. It was, it was, I mean, it, I had, I had the best times. I made some of my best friends during those years. But I also experienced a lot of ableism in those years too, which for those who don't know what ableism is, that's just generalized discrimination against somebody with a disability. And so I experienced a lot of that when I was, when I, cause I'd come out at 15, but I didn't start messing around with people until I was in college. So I didn't really get, you know, when I, when I went out to queer bars or queer spaces, I... I, it was a totally different experience than the regular college experience. I could go to like the college bar and I knew seven people. If I went to the queer bar, I felt like I was completely not welcome here. I was, this, this place is not for me. Like I, I would go and I would dance, but I would never feel like I had a space. Well, yeah, I mean, that also makes sense because, I mean, especially then if you're 32 and this was when you were 19, it's, like kind of pre-dating app and honestly even before some like meetup sites and stuff like that so we really relied queer people really relied on bar on bar culture you know to just like be the place where we meet each other and bar culture just I'm trying to imagine you know like um 
needing things like a little bit more room to drive your chair. Like those things are not something that necessarily not even room just getting your chair into the space right but then i'm also thinking about being around drunk people and how like you know drunk people aren't like known for their um like uh kindness and and self-awareness right like it's like (laughs) a moment where you're just kind of like losing it and so i just imagine being in that space and but talk to me about even getting your chair in the door you can't even get in in, in that I moment can't, in your I, life, I, you, you can't even get into some places. Well, in that moment in my life, luckily there was, there was one there was one bar that I could get into, but I had to go around the back and I had to like let the bouncers know I was coming, and I had to like go like through the garbage chute and get like not chute but through the garbage alleyway and like get to the back elevator and get in the bar. So it was doable, but it was a lot of work. And I could never just saunter into the front of the bar. And even now where I'm living, I'm in Toronto now. And most of the bars in Toronto are the same. The queer bars in Toronto are the same thing. So like just getting into the door, once you're in, you're like, wow, I'm here. I'm, I'm in. Okay, I'm going to go experience queerness now. Yeah, okay, I did it. But then when you get into those spaces, you also feel I have felt um, like I'm still not welcome there because nobody knows what to do with me because they've never seen another queer person with a disability in the bar wanting to be with you know wanting to to experience that so they get all nervous they get all strange and weird and then i get all strange and weird and so together it's not (laughs) it's it's not a really emotionally accessible space for disabled people because it's so it's so built around you have abilities you can walk and you should know how to do this and if you if you if you're abilities don't allow that for you and it's a space where you can't access like even though you're in the door it may not be it may not feel like you're welcome there right oh man my i'm like i mean i'm i just like wish i could i wish i could be I just, all I want to do right at this moment is widen doors. <laughs> I'm just having this <laughs> real feeling of wishing that I could widen some doors. But, you know, what you're saying, it, again, like my experience on this is is not first person, but um, for instance, like when I worked at this high school, we it was really important to like take the students to places outside of the school so that they, you know, weren't just like, isolated and so that the rest of the community saw them and so that it was like an integrated experience for everybody and still you know we would like figure out which places we could you know bring the van to that had a lift so the wheelchairs could get in and then like which restaurants had the widest doors so that folks could get in and then which and then tell the restaurant in advance so that like a table is set up so I mean I think just in building on what you're saying, it's like even with um, the laws that we have for accessibility in the U.S., there's still like so much kind of planning and like specificity in in how you're going to make each you know trip uh, to a restaurant just to dinner or whatever happen. And then if yeah. you and yeah. if you minimize that 
to which places of those places would be queer, right? Like it's a real eye of the needle situation because it has yeah, to be like just right. Like yes, oh, there's yeah. parking where the van can pull up. Or how, how do you how do you get around? What's your mode of transportation? My mode of transportation is public transit usually. With and so in Toronto we have I don't know what they have in LA there, but in Toronto we have like a disabled bus service. So I right. would I'll call a day a day in advance and I'll grab the bus or if I, want, if I want to go somewhere on the fly and just go I'll get a cab but usually my outings take about a day or so of planning just to figure out all the transportation figure out how I'm going to get back safely all that stuff I mean so are you just a super organized person <laughs> like how the fuck are no, you actually, actually able to pull that off <laughs> that sounds I am, exhausting I, I, I am not well I mean that's why so many of us with disabilities don't go out and I don't experience queerness in the same way like you know the, the people that go to the clubs and people that go to the, all the, the hot spot sexy queer spaces I don't do that I my queerness has become because of my disability my queerness has become really political and become a lot of like okay I'm going to talk about queerness and disability in my work but then I'm going to go home alone and you know wish that somebody was asking me out to go to this bar but then I can't go there because so it's yeah it's exhausting I am the most least organized person you'll ever meet in your life but somehow <laughs> somehow somehow I manage so talk to me about dating because you just said that you go home and you wish you had somebody like asking you to go out um, um d- dating and disability is an interesting it's it's tough it's it's not easy especially when you're queer and for myself as a queer you know cisgendered man with a disability because i don't have a six-pack and i'm not you know i'm not packing the hugest thing in my pants and i can't i can't present that to the world the way that most queer men like to do to say like hey let's go hang out um that's you know i my community of other queer men don't see me as sexually viable. And I spend a lot of my time dealing with people saying, Oh, you're really hot, but you're in a wheelchair or, Oh, you're really attractive, but I don't think we could date or, Oh, I just want to be your friend because disability. So it's a lot of dealing. It's a lot of navigating other people's discomfort around my disability. And so I don't date a lot. I've, you know, I, I mess around with people when, when it calls for it, but I don't, I, I, I don't go on a lot of dates because I'm tired of dealing with all of the ableism that I have to contend with all the time when I'm just trying to meet somebody. Yeah. When you say people have like, have the, have a level of discomfort with your disability, like what, what do you find that folks are responding to? Like people you would potentially want to date, like what are you actually hearing from folks? I know you said a little bit of like, you know, I, Oh, I don't know if we could actually date, but does anybody ever get more specific? about like um what they would worry uh, about being with you they'd worry about and because queer men are are really hypersexualized it, it typically goes to sex pretty fast so it typically goes to well we can't go on a date because i can't sleep with you because i might hurt you or or like you can't do the thing i want you to do in bed so what's the point of us going out or i'd have to help you and i might have to take care of you and that scares me, so we shouldn't hang out. It's just a lot of fear of the unknown. What they're responding to is, I have never experienced this before. I have no idea how to do this. 
Um, and so they're just scared and no one's ever told them that, you know, disability can be attractive. Disability is sexy disability. Like, and not all the time it's sexy. Sometimes it's horribly not sexy, but you know, no one's told, no one's told these people that disability can be, can be a really nuanced intimate experience. And so they're just responding to a lot of unknown. Yeah. And actually that it, that is kind of what word I wanted to do with my follow up there is ask. So like that's other people framing you, you know, like that's the perception um, that you're seeing and getting. But how do you think of yourself? Like as a, I, as a man and as a like a sexual uh, being and and as a gay person. How do you think of yourself? I like how you almost said sexual object. There I know I had to I had to stop myself because I was just like, I mean, how do you think of yourself as a sex object? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah tell me a little okay, bit about like don't what you cut would that say. out because don't cut that don't cut that that was amazing that needs to stay in um, oh yeah you're yeah like absolutely yes <laughs> but yes tell me tell i me i i mean i am i see myself as a sex object i make fun <laughs> of my dis- yeah i do but it's true i do i i make fun of my disability all the time i play with it it's that's why i run a company called you know crippled content creations that's why i'm a crippled content creator i just started a hashtag for myself on my social media that is disabled daddy like i i play with all the things that gay men play with and all the terminology we play with but i put a disabled spin on it because i think it's fun. I want to play with it. I want to show people that disability isn't necessarily tragic. It's not always the easiest thing to deal with. There are hardships. And I think a lot of the time, a lot of the time when we focus on disability, there's an, there's an overt kind of plastic positivity we focus on. Like, oh yeah, you can do whatever you, you can do whatever you put your mind to. If you just think about it or you're not disabled, I don't see you that way. And it's like, well, but what if what if I did see myself that way? And what if I was okay with that? And what if I wanted to talk about how sometimes it sucks balls and I don't like it and it's not great. But what if I also wanted to show people that I can, I can be sexual by using my disability as my selling point? And that's kind of what I do. I, I play with it. And I talk about in my podcast, Disability After Dark, I talk a lot about the, the tough stuff, but I also play with the idea of it being fun and and sexy and you know enjoyable to be a disabled person a disabled queer person especially trying to access these communities and and all the all the trials and tribulations that come along with that what do you think could make it could makes you particularly sexy I'm, this is just like interesting to me so if this makes you if you don't want to talk about this you can tell me no, no. right off i am i am so comfortable listen to any episode of my podcast and I'll you I am very comfortable no problem um so what makes me sexy I think is that I am not afraid to be vulnerable I'm not afraid to wade right into the, to my vulnerability and my stuff and say you know what um I am I I'm scared of my disability sometimes I'm like and to tell people that frankly be like you know what you're scared of me as a disabled man I'm scared of what you think about my disability and I, I think my sense of humor around that is often a defense mechanism. Sometimes I was with somebody recently and we were hanging out and I was making all these really crappy disability jokes. 
and I stopped myself and was like, I don't want to make these jokes anymore. Like I, I didn't say this to him, but my internal monologue was, I don't want to make these jokes anymore. I'm going to just relax and take a breath because I was trying to impress him and show him that disability was okay. And I was like, no, no, it, let's just be, take, it'll be all right. If he can't deal with it, then it's, then move on. And it was fine. But I think the sexiness of disability comes from realizing that it's, shitty sometimes realizing that it's vulnerable that you need to be vulnerable and i i spent a lot of years trying to be hyper masculine and hypersexual and all these things to try to impress people that i wanted to either get with for for some some fun times and some sexy times or to date and i've realized that you have to let all that stuff go and just embrace what it is and what i'm learning to embrace in my work and in my life generally is just the fact that i am a disabled queer man and I'm unique. I'm basically a sexual unicorn and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of what you're saying is I mean, at, at the very least, on like a listener level, like, or, you know, between you and I, like, obviously, we're not trying to date each other. So there's a different thing there. But between <laughs> you and I, I can, I can really relate to what you're talking about just as a queer person. So there is like some intersectionality that like if able-bodied queer folks wanted to, we could lean into um, because you're talking and about, I think you're talking about like vulnerability being sexy and it's not always fucking amazing. And we, ha- we make it a shiny, you know, uh, castle on it. I mean, that's, that's all stuff you could say about, like gay culture itself, you know, that it's like, oh, it's a rockin' good time where you're like going out and like <laughs> fucking whoever you want and, you know, being it. And, and it, I think it, then there's obviously there's the other side of it that's just like, no, on a daily basis, I uh, live in a country that doesn't fully understand me and I'm met with uh, discrimination and I have to hear words about myself that suck. Like w- we we could try to, like folks, folks like myself could try to understand where you're coming from because we actually have a lot in a lot of the like right words and experiences to get what you're saying. I mean, we we have so much in common, and what I when I do when I give talks, shout out LA, somebody should hire me. I want to come over there. Mm-hmm. Someone hire me, please. Um, so when I give talks as a as a with my my lectures, I talk about how. Each and every one of us are going to be disabled, whether it be through old age, whether it be through an accident, whether it be through something is going to happen to us in our lives where disability is going to become a part of our life, especially in queer culture. Disability is going to happen to all of us and we need to start talking about it. So non-disabled queer people need to start looking to the disabled queer community for for advice, for tips. I talked to a seniors queer group a couple years ago, I did a, a, a lecture series for them, and the amount of overlap from these senior queer people was so. It was there was so much like, yep, I we we were nodding each, nodding our heads at each other the whole time, and at the end of it, one of them said, "I really thank you for like showing me this. I now feel as a senior queer person, I feel like I have more resources. Thank you." So there is a ton of overlap, and disabled queer people have a, have a wealth of knowledge around being queer and being fully intersectional and being like and there are so many queer disabled people out there i think actually you're going to be talking to a friend of mine um next week 
you're going to be talking to my good friend Eva Sweeney, who is fantastic and fantastically queer and disabled. Um, and she does amazing work. So there are so many of us out there. We just don't get enough recognition. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I will say like, I don't know that I have, of course there are so many, I don't, I don't know if I, because my experience of queerness is a lot, you know, a lot of it is, like how I started finding community wasn't actually going to gay bars. That's not like the first place I found community for me. It really was entertainment, television and film. So like a lot of the stuff that you're saying is blowing my mind because like we talked about earlier, queer, uh, disabled queer folks are not represented there. So what you're saying about like seniors and, and you and the overlap there, that that's like, I mean, that's so beautiful. I'm almost bursting into tears. That's amazing. And of course, yeah. And I love what you're saying about, like fully able-bodied folks being able to learn because also even, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be reductive about sex acts as having anything to do with sexuality, but we're also a community that's like really into trying to figure out how to uh, work with our bodies. Like I think a lot more than your typical straight <laughs> cis we're, person. Like we're, we're know, a community that's trying to learn how to fuck each other in the best possible ways. Yeah. Like fuck um, each other and fuck ourselves and how to feel great. Like that's we're we're invested <laughs> in that. And so it feels like also people that have like maybe bodies that work in a, in a, in a different way would have something to say on that too. Like there's a lot of different ways that we could be. Learning. And we do. And I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talks around sexuality and disability, but a lot of them are, are, heteronormative a lot of them are cisgendered a lot of them don't don't have intersections of people of color most of them are like are like straight men who had a spinal cord injury and want to learn how to fuck again great that's that's important and i i fully value that but there's so much more to sex and disability if you talk to a queer disabled person they will they they have a breadth of stories i could whip out like three or five right now just stories of sex and disability that totally are based around my disability and, and encapsulate my experiences as a, as a queer disabled person. And I think the trouble with the queer space is that it's so, especially queer male spaces in my experience, it's very white, it's very able-bodied and it's very much, you have to go to the gym and if you don't go to the gym and you don't, you don't look like this, then you're not valid. And so because my body kind of, defies all of that and all of those markers i because i can't go to the gym the same way i can't i'm never going to be able to work off my disability um so when i roll up and say hey i want to fuck you nobody knows what to do because i this idea of sleeping with a disabled person is totally alien to them and they're not sure how to navigate any of that and so a lot of my sexuality is even when i'm when i'm trying to perform a sex act or be with somebody intimately like that it's a lot of me comforting them to be like it's okay we can do this it's all right like i know how to do this don't worry oh, and kind no. of, yeah it's a lot of training them how to fuck me basically i mean if i'm really honest that's what it is i have ha i have not had a lot of sex where i've had i've had some sex like this but very rarely sex that i was like oh i can just enjoy myself great most of it's training the other person and that's exhausting as fuck like, that's well, tiring well sure yeah i mean i guess you know what you know what this is making me think of though is that 
I mean, I, I don't, there's so many different, our community is evolving so quickly right now that it's almost hard to like speak about any particular group <laughs> as if like there are, it's hard to even have like norms and stereotypes right now because there's like so yeah, much it, evolution it, happening. But one thing, yeah, and it's, oh no, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I'm just going to say that it's, it's like, it's really kind of like, you have to be very careful when you try to discuss stereotypes today because someone someone's going to come at you and say like well actually no so it's really tough to <laughs> to do that because everybody has different evolving identities totally which is rad i mean it's the the cool it, there's so much to that it's like yes i love that everybody has different evolving identities it does sometimes make just conversation a little harder because like we don't have sort of baselines anymore you know, um, we don't have we don't have proper language to we don't have the language is evolving so terms. fast. Yeah, there aren't universal yeah. terms, and they're kind of and you know the, what's funny is that like our terms used to be reductive but universal, right? Like it's like it's not that there are more types of people; it's that we were like being reductive with our language, but that that was that like reductivity. Was easily was understood. Yeah, it was, and yeah, it was yeah. also like kind of widely um, utilized. So then now we're in this space where it's like we're trying to evolve, and we don't have proper words that have finite definitions. That's cool and good. It's it's like letting us all be ourselves more. But in the meantime, like, it makes it a fucking <laughs> piece of work to try and have a podcast where you just talk to another person. So like yeah, imagining yeah. that we can speak in generalities because we can't. You know, I and think that's about, why. Oh, go ahead. What were you say? That's why. I mean, I love. I, I've listened to all your episodes like repeatedly because I love when you. My favorite thing about listening to this podcast is when you pause for like <laughs> two minutes to try to figure out. Okay, I hear. I hear what they said, and I want to respond <laughs> intelligently, but I don't know how to do that without possibly offending them. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the struggle is real, and it's not even just like it's funny because it's not really for me. It's. It's like, of course, I don't want to offend people because I'm like, just like, a, I'm trying to be kind. But then there's the other side of it, which is like, not necessarily about offending, but really about like getting it wrong. Like not wanting to be yeah. somebody who doesn't get it, you know, like really trying to be a part of this community. And I think of people that are queer as family. And so it's like so hard to think about like really misunderstanding your family. That doesn't mean that I think I've yeah. had all experiences, but when I'm like talking to somebody and I just don't want to, you don't want to fuck it up unintentionally and then make them feel weird. I get it. I don't want to make them feel weird. Yeah. And I also don't want to make myself feel weird. Like what the fuck you thought that? And Why so did like, you say that? <laughs> yeah. And so when I listen to you and like, I love, I love just when there are moments where I've listened there was one a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember who you were talking to, but you literally paused for a minute. There was silence on the air, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> she's trying to figure it out." And you, you pulled it together. I don't know what you said, but you pulled it together, and I was like, "Okay, she good. She got it." <laughs> I mean, you were trying to find a way. Thanks for thinking so that that's okay. I I just feel like, <laughs> you know, right now I'm trying not to edit things into oblivion because I want it to feel like a real conversation. But fuck, I mean, I I feel like well. That's it's, why it's when hard. I do what I do, like, yeah, no, it's hard. That's why when I do what I do, my, I tell people to call me a cripple, call me, like, call me the language that I've chosen for myself, and please don't take that away from me. Like, what, so, the, like, 
if you and I were hanging out, I would expect you to be like, hey, hey, you know, hey, Andrew, or hey, Triple, what's up? Like, it's it's a way of you seeing me for who I am and, like, to understand that nothing... Why I use this terminology for myself is because I don't... I I have a big... I have a f- flat back brim hat that I wear around Toronto that says queer cripple and I wear it around and it's hilarious the looks on people's faces because they're like oh, he, aren't you offended by what you're wearing on your head and it's like no I'm doing it because I know it's sort of funny and I want you to know that I'm okay with it so I expect people to call me a queer cripple and that's my moniker and, and that's the language that I use and I know it's going to offend some but it's also going to relax the tension a little bit and be like okay he's comfortable talking about this uncomfortable shit great maybe I can wade into this and ask him about his sex life or ask him about things and he won't be super shocked by it. So I think the language we use for ourselves, especially in identity politics, is very, very important. So if somebody says to says like, I want to be called this, I'm like, okay, great. This is your, this is the language you chose. I'm going to respect that and move on. And when it comes to disability, we tend not to do that because we're so afraid of offense. So I turn all that shit on its head and I make fun of all of it because I'm like, go ahead, try to offend me. I'm wearing a shirt that says queer cripple. Go ahead, try. What are you going to say? That's I've heard it all before. Go. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I have fun with that. And I think it's really fun. It's so fun to play with that. And even, even with my podcast, like I, my podcast is so frank and I'm so direct with my listener, with my listeners on disability after dark, because it's, I just love being able to have, just like you, I want to have those really raw, frank conversations that we don't get to have. And so much of of queerness and disability is sanitized in a way that I think sometimes does us a disservice. It makes it so we can't really be ourselves and talk about real shit that's really happening because we have to be, we have to play the political queer person or the political disabled person who's you know, doing all this fighting when really you might just want to talk about how shit your day was because somebody was an asshole to you around your queerness or your disability or your race. And we need to be able to have those conversations, frankly, without fear of like, someone's going to be afraid that we said the wrong thing. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, you don't have to convince this stand-up comic that uh, comedy and humor are, are a great coping mechanism. Like it is... It's totally, I think it's totally okay to use even yourself. And I mean, I would say like with a bit of hopefully like good self-esteem and like not self-hatred, but to use yourself as a butt of a joke just because you think of yourself as everybody else and and like everybody, like we shouldn't take ourselves that seriously. So if we laugh at ourselves that way, that can be like actually life-saving for queer folks because when we are less challenging, you know, then we, we are safer. And I mean like that is, I know where my sense of humor comes from is in like sort of taking the power out of somebody's ability to like name the thing that they thought was silly about me, me saying it myself so that, so that I'm the one saying it. And then they're like, Oh, I don't have to like, um, I don't have to scare you almost like that, that it's, I really think that for folks who like have lived in marginalized communities, it's sometimes it's as I would take it as far as a safety issue. Like it's everything from yeah. like having being cool to be around and having friends to like uh, taking the charge out of a room so that you don't feel like somebody's going to punch you in the face. And I think yeah, so that 
you know, like having a hat like that is one tiny act that kind of falls in that. It's the same reason that like I have, I used to have this button I would wear all the time that was like the Nike swoosh, but it said, it said dyke on it. So it was like dykey. I was, I wore that for most of my twenties. Um, and I just, I mean, I feel like it's like, there's a lot in, but it's a balance, right? But you can't be like humiliating yourself because we have to, no, we have to all have... challenge ourselves to think better of ourselves than that, but we can take ourselves down a peg. Yeah, and you like not even take. And I don't. I don't see it as taking yourself down a peg. It's first of all, you wearing that button in your twenties would be hilarious, and we would be best friends because that's awesome. <laughs> also, I don't um, mean like down. Not really down, but I just mean like be like, yeah, this is what's fucking going on. You think my hair looks gay? Like, look at my button. You know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, but I think it's a term of it's, it's the language that I use for myself is a term of empowerment. Like when I'm, yeah. when I'm. Sleeping when I'm sleeping with somebody, I was actually with somebody recently, and I made them call me a cripple in bed, and I and I loved it, and they were like, oh, "Is that okay?" And I was like, "Well, am I stopping you? It's fine, keep going." And I had to, you know, make them be comfortable. But I think it, you can play with all that stuff and really make it an identity piece, and that's what I've tried to do because I'd much rather be the queer cripple guy who's out there fighting for. Uh, fighting for my sexuality and my to be seen as sexy than the like like disabled guy who's who is constantly mad about everything. I'm I am constantly mad about a lot of things, but I try you to should be. convey I mean, we that. All should be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, I'm mad about a lot of a, a ton of things, but I try to convey that in a sexy way and with a playful kind of glint on the world. Otherwise, I would just be depressed all the time, and that's exhausting. Right. I, I also think that what you're talking about, so this is, before we got to this whole thing, I was going to say that if we could speak and and we just looped around again, and so now it's my question's relevant again, yay! Um, yay! Yeah, I, if we could speak in generalities like about what the cis gay dude population, you know, the, the stereotype is that it's a very like, kind of wham bam thank you sir situation where it's like uh this idea that there is like one sex act um anal sex that's like held up as like the you know the crowning like most perfect sex act and i think that what you're talking about which is I mean, I understand you saying like, God, can I ever just have sex where I don't have to constantly fucking convince the person that's okay to have sex with me? I totally get that. But the other side of what you're talking about, I think is a reality for more people than would let on that it is, which is like negotiation is important and we all have to figure out how to be good at it. And there's also something that like, you know, if we're talking about things that you might be good at that the rest of the queer community could learn from. I mean, first of all, lesbians are also very good at negotiation when it comes to sex. So don't I worry. For a minute you were, I thought for a minute you were asking me, like, what sex acts am I good at because of disability? So, so I think, um, like, negotiation around sex at all is actually a really positive thing is what I'm trying to get to. That I think that... Yes. I mean, I think that queer folks are sort of... are sometimes, like, fed almost misinformation about ourselves that like B 
because sex isn't always tied up in pregnancy for queer folks, um, although it certainly can be, that like we have this fancy free sex that requires no sort of like attachments. And I, I just don't yeah. know if that's true. Like, I don't know the sex that you're talking about having. Like, I'm sure there are gay men who are having that, but I'm sure that there are also able-bodied gay men that are having like a lot closer to what you're talking about. Because yeah. And I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are. I mean, and the negotiation part that you're speaking about is, is important. But again, sometimes a lot of the time it falls on me to do the negotiate, the negotiating that and that, yeah, that part I can't, I'm tired of. Like, sometimes I just want to fuck, period, <laughs> full stop. Like, the end. Sure. Sometimes I want I want that wham, bam, thank you, sir kind of sex. I mean, that's not true. I think I want it, and then they leave, and I'm like, oh, I want friendship. Come back. Um, <laughs> All right, Sam Smith. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, um, I get that. I mean, you're and you're right. I think what I was forgetting is, like, that the burden of that does fall on you. That makes perfect sense. And it does because I'm quote unquote the different one in that scenario. I'm the one that needs the help. I'm the one that can't move certain ways. I'm the one that they have to undress and redress. And so I get it. I understand why it falls on me, but I also understand the emotional labor of that can be really tough to navigate. Well, so what I'm suggesting is that like maybe your sex partners have some stuff going on that they could or should be encouraged to negotiate so that that, that's not just on you like that you're not that it's not like everybody else is normative and then like you're some outlier like we all no it's not and and it's not it stinks that that's not how it ever actually goes down like that sucks it's not but the way queer men portray sex and that's never what's happening I, i know I know the majority of my sex partners have always had things happening, but will I ever know that? No. Will they ever tell me what's happening? No, because typically the sex that I have is like, thanks for the blowjob. I'll see you later. Bye. Like it's not, it isn't, I haven't got to spend a lot of time with, with one consistent partner because people are afraid to commit to the disabled person because it will mean that you'll have to change your life around a little bit. You'll, you will have to take care of a partner in a different way. And that. I think the idea of being of being in a relationship for most gay men with a disabled person is terrifying because they'd have to give up this like this like aimless freedom they have right now to do whatever they want or that we think we have to do whatever we want and kind of care for somebody and that I think scares a lot of gay men a lot of them and I, I don't think it's their fault I just think the culture the culture is very much based around me myself i'm gonna get what i i'm gonna be independent i don't need anybody i'm not gonna have kids i'm not gonna get married i'm just gonna fucking it'll be great and that's all well and good but then when i roll up and say yeah we can fuck but also i need you for i need you to like dress me after and things or i need can you help me with this they get scared because they think it means that they're gonna you know need to take care of me and then the idea of caring for somebody and committing to that even for one or two nights is really is scary for them can I ask you, a, first of all, I have no idea if this question makes me an asshole, so I apologize if it does. I'm so re- um, <laughs> have you dated somebody who's also disabled? Or my favorite part of the my favorite part of the of the question was when you paused. It doesn't make you an asshole. It totally doesn't. So you're safe there. You're good. Um, <laughs> I, I've heard it 
a ton before. I'm sure you <laughs> have. I, I this so is have. how fucking like I mean my literally my brain just got to that question. We've been talking for <laughs> fifty three minutes and fifty two seconds. So I mean that's like what normativity and ableism will do to your brain is that we can talk for 54 minutes before I'm like, Oh my God, wait, I should ask this question. This like really <laughs> simple question that you've gotten a million times. Shit. Um, I, I, t- you know, I have, <laughs> that's hilarious. And I have not, I have not dated another person with a disability. I fucked somebody in a chair once. Um, and I'll tell the story cause it's funny. I fucked this guy in a chair a couple of years okay i want to say over seven years ago we met when i was in college and i was super excited because he was in a chair too and like finally we're gonna figure it out and he was more able than i was so he somehow managed to get me in bed i don't really know how we did it without dying um so we somehow fell into bed we we did the thing it was great and then afterwards i was super like as we as we were doing the deed i looked over at my at the wall and I saw my chair and his chair together and I kind of went, Oh, that's super sweet. Like, that's great. And then when we were done, I, I, I wasn't cool or, or stealth about it at all. I called him within 20 minutes and said, I'd like to hang out again. Cause I have no tact and that hasn't changed in all those years. Um, and so I said, I'd love to hang out again. And he said, yeah, I think you're too disabled for me. I don't think we can, um, hang out again. And so, <laughs> so Fuck. yeah so i mean the ableism the ableism it, it it is not it's not only to able-bodied people experience like showing this this ableism it it can affect everyone and so like and also i have some of my, of my own internal ableism where like oh i won't date a, i won't date a disabled person because it is too much work and they would have to, how would they get me into bed and how would we do all this? So there, there's my own internal ableism that, that is somehow, that sometimes has guided me to believe that dating, a, dating another disabled person is not cool or not sexy, which is stupid, but that, you know, again, because I have been fed that the kind of guy that I should go after is muscular, white, cisgendered with a big dick and is able to go through the, go through the gym five times a week. Uh, and so... I am fed the same narrative as everybody else. And so I'm looking for the same narrative as everybody else, which is totally ridiculous. And I'm working, I work every day to combat that within myself because it's not fair. Right. But it happens. That kind of ableism happens to everyone. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed talking to you. I mean, it's It's, like sort of towards the end of this hour. And I, I just really appreciate, I mean, I also feel like, I asked you so many like sex related questions. I want you to know, I know you're a full person <laughs> who also does other things <laughs> and has like other Thank interests. Um, and, but I do love, I do love sex. Sex, I, sex is one of my favorite things. So it's okay. I'm good with it. Oh, I, you know what? Who, who I, I also love sex. We have that in common. Isn't that great? Um, I'm glad we could share that together. We share that. We share that. And I don't know, dude, I just, Thanks for your openness. I really have loved speaking to you. When you're in LA, I would just love to yeah. have coffee or something. It would be amazing. So, or if I'm in up LA, in Toronto, I I like that city. Yeah, by the way, I was looking at your I was looking at your tour guide tour dates, being like, hey, so no Toronto? 
No, you know, we come up there a lot, but um, not usually as part of like a major tour because it's it's so weirdly complicated to go from Canada to the U.S. just in terms of like money and contracts. It shouldn't and be. And passports. And, that doesn't yeah, make no, any sense, right? Like it should, I mean, sometimes you're like 10 minutes from the, I mean, Detroit is so close. We were in Detroit. You're but, so close to us. You're like yeah. right, the right, right at the border. Yeah, I know. But it's like super funny but i'm sure we will come back to to toronto sometimes soon because i really like that city. awesome um yeah, I know. Toronto's but before great. we head out into our respective days i just wanted to ask you to shout out a queero somebody that helped you feel strong in the person that you are today to shout out a queero um i'm just trying to think who i who i looked up to being queer i mean I, I'm going to have to say that one of the first queer people that was really queer for me was Ellen DeGeneres um, because she was so out there about it. And I, rem- I remember when she came out in 97, which is a couple of years, which was actually like two years before I came out. I remember thinking, okay, all right. She did it like that. And like, and so I kind of, u- I remember using, I remember seeing her, her, the show where she came out and being like, okay, how am I going to do this? Am I going to, is it going to be a big giant public spectacle or am I going to just say it? And so, but I always watch her and be like, if she could do that, then I can do this. And so I, I, I really respect what she's done. I also want to give a shout out to just any queer disabled person doing the stuff they do, like doing this kind of work. Um, because, and I'm not thinking of anybody specifically, I'm just thinking generally, there are so many of us out there doing this. I think they need to be given recognition because we, work so hard just to get past the ableism to be like, Hey, we're sexy. So anybody who is doing that, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to them because it's, it's not easy work and I'm really glad people are doing it. Wow. Yes. Andrew, you're cool. I like to talk. Thank to you. you. So are you. It was great. <laughs> I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really? Thank you. It was, it was so awesome. I had the, I had the best time. listeners that's our show please remember to rate and review us on itunes you can follow me on twitter at cameron esposito we are recorded by matt brousseau produced by sierra Catow and feral audio our theme song is by aw and you can find them at listen to aw.com thanks for listening to query Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season 3 has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, Season 3 is a great jumping on point, and we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, Yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, (laughs) Jazos. Ruler of the Eighth Circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here.